Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part two of a two-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Session 2. Humility and chutzpah, the marks of a ready warrior. So this is a really unique tie-in because in our, our, our last 10 weeks, we, we went through a, a message called humility and chutzpah. And so now we have a sub-session in a message because I want you to catch something. I want you to realize that the ruddiness that we're talking about is a spirit ruddiness. And when the spirit functions we can begin to recognize that he is the humble spirit. It would be just as appropriate to call the Holy Spirit the humble spirit. He has taken the lowest place in the Trinity. He's willing to be hidden. He's willing to showcase Jesus Christ and go into the background. And so his life is actually our ministry. His ministry is the same ministry we have. It's the hidden ministry. Our job is to declare Jesus Christ. And so when the Spirit of God moves upon a man, David was anointed in the hills of Bethlehem, and it says the Spirit of God came upon him. And he is notated for two very critical attributes of leadership, humility and chutzpah. That's what David had. This is precisely what needs to be cultivated in us. When we are novitionaries and we are being groomed by the Spirit of God, he is grooming two very specific things in us. So these are the marks of a ready warrior. So if there was some committee that was looking and evaluating all the young soldiers, we would look out and we'd say, so what about them? Do they have humility and chutzpah? That would be the question. Humility and chutzpah. Do they have the spirit of God? Are they showcasing that power in their life? The Valley of Elah, the place of the great terebinth. I think it's an amazing thought to realize, because I didn't know it until just a few years ago, that Elah, I mean, I, I've studied this place so much. I mean, I, I've spent time on maps, and I, I just haven't ever visited it. But I even have five smooth stones from the brook in my office. Someone went over there and brought them back for me. So I even feel like I, I have it. It's like in my life somehow. I love this story, even though I know it's a kid's story. It's, it's an adult story through and through. This is a story for every Christian. It's a real story. It's not a giant pickle and a pea. Uh, or whatever it was. What was David? Was he a pea in that one? A David and the giant pickle? Oh, he's asparagus. That's right. So, I mean, that, talk about removing the reality and the tangible nature of this story. This is a very, very real story. But there is a great big tree in the midst of that valley. And here's a couple other pieces I want you to begin to hold on to. It is a certain journey over some craggy hills from Bethlehem, but it would seem... And I have reasons to, to say this. It would seem that David was very familiar with this valley. The reason I would say that is his hiding place, for most of the time he was being hunted by Saul, was actually right here. It's called the Cave of Adullam. That is in the Valley of Elah. It's one of the caves. There's all sorts of caves there. It's a great and ideal place for shepherds because when a storm comes in, you have the tree 
at which you can find shelter during the day, during the heat, and you have the caves if there is a storm. And so it's the ultimate shepherding paradise. And so I don't know if other shepherds hung out there. I don't know how it worked. However, David seemed to be very familiar with this valley, which is an extra amazing thought when you think all these years later, his dad says, I want you to go deliver bread and cheese. Where, Dad? They're camped in the valley of Elah, the place of the tree. I pictured David having a fondness for this tree, growing up in this tree. In fact, I see him sitting in the limbs of this tree when the lion came against his sheep. I mean, a shepherd would want to stay in the shade during the hot days. And so maybe he's even up in that tree so he can get a good vantage point on if anything ever comes against his sheep. This is a massive tree. I picture him sitting in this tree when the bear came to come against his sheep. And so when he comes into that very same valley where he has faced lion and bear, potentially, and now there's a man-beast. And when he looks at that man-beast, what does he see standing behind the man-beast? A great big tree, overshadowing that giant. And he says to Saul, let me take him. How can you be so sure you can tackle such a Goliath as this, such a, a warrior? Your servant in this very valley, this is, that's the way I picture it, took down a lion and a bear. What's this guy? Who is this next to that great terebinth? Don't you know the God we serve here in Israel? We'll call it chutzpah. The reading of the novice. This is an incredible list to think through. This is how David, the greatest, possibly the greatest leader outside of Jesus, was groomed. He was groomed by the Spirit of God. The same grooming practices will take place in our life. The shepherding. Well, that's a pretty low start, by the way. The shepherd is the lowest in the family. He's the eighth son. And so the eighth son doesn't get the privileges. The eighth son gets stuck. All the other family members start getting the better jobs, better paying jobs, the more, uh, the notoriety comes with it. Where's David? Well, David's out with the sheep. David misses so many family moments. David misses the intimacy and the warmth of the fire. David is out with the sheep. Very lonely task. And so David was a shepherd. And so in the exploring of the Valley of Elah, it's just in my mind, and so you can humor me and play along with the idea. I'm not saying that I could prove it. I'm just saying I have good reason to believe that David was familiar with this valley. So I picture him exploring the Valley of Elah, knowing the caves, knowing the tree, climbing the tree, climbing down the tree, knowing and becoming familiar with this place of battle. This is how God trains us. You see, the very place that someday in the future will actually be a testing ground for us is the very place God is training us in now. So that when we get to that day, we draw on something. We draw on a knowledge. We draw on a something that was gained in that very place. But it was something that was small that went overlooked by everyone else. The fact that David hunted down a, a lion and a bear, no one else may even know about it. However, in that day of testing, guess who has hunted down a lion and a bear in that very same place? Living in a cave. You know that it's not very easy to live in a cave? His brothers and his father, his mother, are living in a nice home in Bethlehem. Guess where David's living? He's sleeping in a cave. Do you think that's important for his future? Oh, yeah. You see, David was prepared for his calling. If you are willing to be a shepherd, you too will be prepared for your calling, even though in the moment there is reason to gripe, there is reason to complain. One of the things that's amazing about David is you never hear one word of complaint, ever. 
when you listen to David all throughout these years, it never has him begrudging his position. He seemed, in a strange way, to cherish it. The slight, you know, this could be a a tough moment. The prophet uh, Samuel comes into town and calls Jesse to have all of his sons appear before him, for out of his sons a king will be chosen. David isn't invited. Now, if you're Jesse, I'm sure you could reason through it, and you could say, well, he's out with the sheep. I don't want to call him back. I mean, he's a shepherd. That's just what they do. So here's my seven other sons. At the same time, it is a slight, because there, you could just hire someone for the day, bring David in. Happens all the time. Why wasn't he invited? I'm sure David could have that going through his head as well. Do you know that many Jews would actually say that David was illegitimately born? That's actually one of the things that many Jews believe from some of his psalms of what he said, that even in the womb, uh, he was in sin. And so what you see is this thought amongst the Jews that it was a purposeful oversight and that Jesse was ashamed. And so as a result, he didn't invite him. Now, I, I can't actually back that up in any way other than to say he was overlooked. And you know that that, that slight could be a grievance in David. And yet we never see it being a grievance in David. David's son Absalom, the slightest thing, set that guy off. And yet David seemed to overlook these things, and this is part of his training. You see, even that slight seems put into his life by the Holy Spirit to say, David, this is your opportunity to be gracious. This is your opportunity to forgive. You see, when you overlook a slight, you walk in good stead with God. How about the anointing? Imagine this moment. Imagine even how hard it would be. Imagine being left out of this king-selecting service in the first place. And then Samuel goes through all of them and says, he's not here. Uh, Is there another? And imagine them all looking at each other. And all the brothers going, no way. He's the shepherd. He's the lowest. There is no way I'm going to accept him as my king. Just use your imagination here. He is the shepherd. He is the eighth son. He is the lowest one, and he gets stuck out in the fields. They have paid their dues. They have spent their time with their sheep. There's no way he's going to be anointed king. Uh Uh-uh. And even Jesse. Could you imagine how awkward that would be, being the dad? I have another son. He's out with the sheep. Bring him here. And then he's anointed before his brothers, but it might not have been a very pleasant company around him. It might not have been very supportive, and you could say, how do you know that, Eric? Where was he sent next? Back to the sheep. If you're sent back to the sheep, would you take that as a statement that they're not treating Samuel's anointing as valid? He's cuckoo. He's sent back to the sheep. He is the rightful king of Israel. He could turn to his dad and brothers and say, bow. And yet, what does he say? Yes, Father. That's a big difference. He could say bow, but he says, yes, Father. David, um, could you go back with the sheep? But, but Father, I'm, didn't you hear what Samuel just said? I, I'm like king of Israel. Could you go back to the sheep, please, son? Yes, Father. Whoa. You see, God has a calling on your life which is much bigger than you're walking in right now. You could say that for every single person in this room. However, how are you handling the sheep right now? How are you handling 
the word from the Father that says, will you go to the sheep? But God, I'm called to preach. But God, I'm called to change the nations. I've heard it from you. I know I have more to do on this earth. Will you please go to the sheep? Yes, Father. The return to the sheep. So let's add the climbing of the great tree in, just to sort of give the well orb thing. He knows this tree. He knows this God. When he arrives, he knows the Almighty when he arrives in that valley. Do you think these things play into his preparation? Of course they do. Do not overlook even the smallest things that are taking place in your life right now. Those difficulties, those slights, those oversights are part of the training. How you respond to them is of the utmost importance. If you want to be ready to take down giants in this generation, then you handle those small things well. The lion, the bear. And guess what David is called in to do? This might have been a little awkward for Jesse too, losing his shepherd. But guess who called? He's proficient in the harp and singing songs. Somehow in all this shepherding, he's gotten pretty talented. Somehow word gets to Saul about one of Jesse's sons, ironically, just happens to be the one anointed to be king in place of Saul. However, Saul, who is the rejected king of Israel, calls upon the rightful king of Israel to do what? To serve him. Think about it! Saul calls on David to serve him. What does David do? Yes. Yes, sir. It is my delight. It is my pleasure. What could he be mumbling? I am your king. Well, he would be right, but he didn't do that. He actually respects and shows honor and submission unto the one he referred to as God's anointed. Until God removes him, he's my king. That is quite a statement of soul. How are we doing with the authority in our life? Even the unjust, the the authority that doesn't fully recognize what God is doing in us, Do we show honor and deference to that which God has put over us, even if it's wrong at times? Can we still show the behavior of David towards it? He gave his best for Saul. And what did Saul give him? He threw spears at him. You know, that that would be somewhat rough to keep coming back and playing when your life is in danger in doing it. This guy has no right to stay on that throne. He was rejected by God. Get off the throne, buddy! And yet, what does David do? He submits and he humbly plays. Now, here's where it gets a little sticky. Do you think this man is proven enough? Most of us would say, yes, I think he's proven enough. He is a good shepherd. He's, he's destroyed lion and bear on behalf of his sheep. This guy knows how to lead and to protect. Give him space, God. Let him grow up in his position. Get rid of Saul. The Philistines show up. Goliath strolls into town. The men of war are called. Guess who is not called? David is sent back to his father. And where does his father send him? To the sheep. Could you imagine David's appeal? Father, could I go to war? I'm ready. Father, I know how to fight. Father, I can be a help to Israel. David, I need you. Can you tend to the sheep, please? Yes, Father. This is the rightful king. He can be telling his dad what he's going to do. Instead, he submits. And this final submission is one of the most important. 
he returns once again to the shepherding duties. Where are we at? Are we willing to remain in that cocoon until God releases us from it? We don't really like anonymity. To be honest, we like our name to be known. We like to have people applaud us. We like to have pictures about us spread around. We like to have likes on our Facebook page. We're funny creatures. Why do these things even matter? They don't. And yet, oftentimes, our firstborn life is playing us like a fiddle, saying, these things matter. I mean, you're nothing unless you have this. If you're, if you're a shepherd, David, no one's ever going to appreciate you. Are you sure that Samuel wasn't a little kooky? Yes, Father. He goes back to the sheep. And then, the key moment in David's life. David, David, could you come over here? Yes, Father. Do you need something, Father? Yeah, I need you to go to the valley. To fight? No, 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 no. Uh, to deliver <clears throat> bread and cheese to your brothers and to check on the status of the war. And then come back to me. Yes, Father. An errand boy. The king of Israel is being sent to the battle delivering bread and cheese. You know, most of us have never caught how low that is in light of everything that happens in the future of his life. But David, was his final proof was that. And so, remember our two questions of what makes a leader ready? You will recognize him because he will be wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a feeding trough. That's how you recognize it when the majesty, when the king arrives in Israel. The moment at the place of the great terebinth. The place maybe he's been all those years before. He knows that place. He recognizes, but now there's something standing in it. And guess what it's threatening? His sheep. Who are David's sheep? Not just those sheep that belong to Jesse. It's Israel. And guess who's now threatening his sheep? And who is prepared to stand up and protect sheep? Being proven for the task. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, because David came in and said, Hey, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? They reported them to Saul. And he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. Isn't that an interesting reasoning point? Your servant here, this young boy, is a shepherd. That's his reasoning. Hey, don't overlook the shepherd. The shepherd is the one prepared. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. That's one of the most unusual things in Scripture is the fact that Saul agreed. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not proved them. Remember our concept is being proved. David had not proved this armor. He had proven. He was proven. But he had not proven this as his military instrument. 
He only understood a shepherd's faith. That's what he understood. So he says, and David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not proved them. So David took them off. Novitionary training, proving God faithful and being proved by God as faithful. This is what those two years of planting are all about. Now, I'm not saying that the rest of our Christian life isn't this. However, there is a season of being prepared as a novitionary to be a sent one, to be a missionary, where the church of Jesus Christ can say, go. And we know that you are going in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. We know you are going in humility and in chutzpah. We know that you have that which you need to turn the world on its head for Jesus Christ. The four restraints of the novitionary. Now I'm going to go through four things that when you are in the novitionary training, it's essential that you're learning. Because remember the one pest that is, as novitionaries, we're most vulnerable to. It's called pride. And so as a result, as a novitionary, as a young disciple of Jesus Christ, you must be extra guarded. I'm not saying that you aren't guarded your entire Christian life, but in these beginning seasons, there's extra poles and wiring that keep you up and special treatments to the soil. This is a very, very delicate and fragile season of our development as Christians. So one of the things is we must be restrained as novitionaries to not claim a position that has not yet been given us. If you are of a leadership personality, then what you will have a tendency to do is see gaping voids and fill them. However, in the church of Jesus Christ, I'm not saying that you can't be a leader. I'm saying be restrained, especially in your younger years, to not ever take upon yourself a position of spiritual influence in other people's lives, but to allow the Spirit of God to open up the door for you to have it. I know that might sound strange because you could say, what's the difference between the two? There's a big difference. One is a Cain offering, the other is an Abel offering. One is, an, one is an Ishmael, the other is an Isaac. You see, the Ishmael is your own effort to try and accomplish what you know God is going to do. He's going to make my descendants as the sand in the seashore. I see it. I know it. You sleep with Hagar. And Ishmael is called a wild donkey of a man. If you want your life to turn out like a wild donkey of a life, well, that's a great solution for it. Start taking things into your own hands. However, restrain to not claim a position that has not yet been given you. Listen, listen to the scripture. Then Abishai said to David, remember David's anointed king. Abishai is one of his mighty men. Saul is lying there sleeping. And David and Abishai are literally standing over his body. God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once, says Abishai, with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. Talk about bait. I mean, this is the opportunity of opportunities. Kill him. Let me do it. You are the rightful king. You know it, David. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David did not presume the position upon himself. He allowed God to open up the kingdom for him. He did not take it for himself. Number two, restrained to serve unnoticed and unappreciated. This is a restraint. It's a deliberate choice of soul to literally do things that will be unnoticed. To not just do the things where everyone will pat you on the back, but to deliberately choose to do things that are unnoticed and therefore unappreciated. No one's going to say thank you if they didn't know you did it. And that's hard for us because most of our energies are purposely, almost clandestinely, conspiratorially done to be noticed. We want to show Jesus. We want to show his behavior. I mean, we have some good stuff mixed into it. However, we want the applause. We want people to say, well done. 
But what if you were willing to walk through a season to be a shepherd? In the Valley of Elah, 13 miles away, over craggy cliffs from your local town of Bethlehem. No one sees it. No one appreciates it. There's no pats on the back. You might not even get invited to the anointing ceremony. You might be left out of all sorts of things. Are you willing to go into a cocoon of anonymity for a season? Serving family is a great way of doing it. You know, and I'm not saying your family won't be appreciative, but guess what? There's a whole world out there and a whole Christian system that doesn't necessarily stand up and cheer when you go home and wash the feet of your family. Serve your brothers and sisters. There aren't books written about you. There isn't some interview on focus in the family. So tell me about it. You came home from some discipleship school and just like washed the feet of your family? That's right. And I'm very proud to say that I did that. See, this isn't how it unfolds. When you serve unnoticed and unappreciated, it does something deep inside of you to fortify and to make resolute why you are here on this earth. Serve unnoticed, serve unappreciated. Respond with heroic action even when no one notices. You see, a lot of us want to save our more heroic behaviors for when news cameras are nearby. I mean, if I'm going to stand in front of that bus and push someone out of the way, I definitely want someone to see it. And yet, are we willing to take our heroic actions and use them in ways that will not be seen? It's a great preparation. Where were David's heroic actions spent in private? And as a result, he was ready to do his heroic actions before a nation. Sprint unto every challenge with confidence. Sprint? Yeah. Move quickly towards the opportunities. When it's a challenge, start moving towards it. Don't do it so that people would notice, but start doing things quickly. This is the right thing to do. Start being a shepherd. Lion, picking up sheep, running off with it. You know what to do, shepherds. Run! Sprint after it. Serve the church currently plagued with weakness. You know, to go back home and to wash the feet of your church... Your church might not even appreciate it. You might be conviction to them just by being there with your mouth shut, washing their feet. What are you doing? Why why, why are you washing my feet? They may not even appreciate it, but I tell you what, what great training ground to go back and to serve, to labor to take a low position instead of presuming that you have all the answers for that church. To say, no, Jesus has those answers. And whatever way I can be of service to him, even if it's playing the harp or taking care of sheep, God, build me and make me ready to truly bless the body. Well, deliver bread and cheese unto your elders. What a great way of saying it. To go back home and deliver bread and cheese, to literally wash their feet and to serve them. Not because they ask you to, but because the Spirit of God asks you to. To write special notes of encouragement. To do the little things that cause people to awaken in their soul. To be encouraged, to be exhorted. Number three. As a novitionary, let's be restrained to the simple shepherd's artillery, faith in the Lord of battles. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. He has put off all of Saul's armor. He set aside Saul's sword, his shield, his helmet. All of that was not proven to him, he set aside. And what does he pick back up? His shepherd artillery, the lowly artillery of a shepherd. He believes in the Lord of battles. That's his secret. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David does not have spear and shield. He does not have helmet. And the term is mahar in the Hebrew. He sprinted. David sprinted 
towards this enemy? Uh, cuckoo. No? Confident. It's called chutzpah. Who in the right mind? Have you seen this guy? Twelve and a half feet of massiveness. David is like the size of his leg. David sprints towards him. He knows. Could you imagine? I just picture it. In my mental picture, if we had a movie and Steve Rosen background movie score for it, we have Goliath standing in front, and there shrouding Goliath as a canopy is the giant tree. And David stares. He doesn't see Goliath. He sees the Almighty. The Almighty is just saying, tell me when. But David sprints towards his helper, sprints towards the strength of Jehovah. That's what he's moving towards. Number four, restrained to always take the lowest place and never presume a higher one. For the rest of your life, if you learn this secret, in every situation, in every room you enter, there's a low spot. Go to that low spot. Take that low spot. Never presume a higher spot, even if you are the king. Even if one of you becomes the president of the United States, be the president the way Jesus Christ would be the president. In every room you walk into, take the lowest place. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. But it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I've begotten you. It's the father that exalted Jesus. Jesus did not take a high position. The father gave him the position. Are you willing to be restrained to always go to the low place? This is what Jesus did. This is what David did. This is the mark of one ready to lead. Let God exalt. You don't exalt yourself. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. This is Jesus talking. So that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust, is unjust also in much. If you are not faithful with the little, if you do not take that low seat, then you are not fit to take the high seat. You see, the high seat in heaven is such a funny thing because it's actually the lowest place. The highest seat in heaven is the lowest place on this earth. Jesus came and went lower than any of us in this room and washed our feet. He became a worm and no man. And so as things work in this natural realm here, we're shepherds. And we're always seeking to go and follow Jesus low. And when we follow Jesus low, what are we doing? We're establishing our position in the spiritual realms higher. And so as a result, God will entrust those that take the low place here with leadership in his church. I know it sounds strange. It's called the upside-down kingdom, but that's how it works. The four ingredients to the extraordinary story. Do you guys remember our story? It's the place of a famous tree. It's the preparations of a young boy from Bethlehem, Judah. It's the boasting of a giant. Five smooth stones. Now, for those of you that know the stones thing, because you've heard me talk on it before, don't whisper it to the person next to you. That's half the fun of it. I mean, this is so amazing. Why did David pick up five smooth stones? Was it because he was afraid? What if what, the one misses? You don't sprint if you're afraid you're going to miss. David was in a headlong sprint. The word mahar is literally like with the ferocity of a lion towards his prey. Uh-huh. That's how he was sprinting, all out. If he misses, he's like in the lap of Goliath. And yet, 
full out sprint with his sling. And he hit one shot. Was David not confident in his slingshot abilities? Why did he pick five? The storyline of the kingdom, the ordinary everyday kid that proves the unlikely hero and changes the course of history. The vision for Ellerslie. Well, here's a simply put. The return of ruddy shepherd boys to Israel who live in the shadow of the great terebinth and remember his almighty power and who reach into the brook and grab five smooth stones instead of just one. Well, why, why are we grabbing five? Isn't one sufficient? Well, after I tell you the story, you can answer that yourself. We need to be grabbing five. You see, there's more work to be done than just taking down this guy. Humility and chutzpah, the sign of the arrival of the king. So, let's measure the readiness of the soldier. Is this person ready for war? Do they show the humility? Are they willing to bask in the shadows? Are they willing to live doing the unrecognized and unappreciated? And are they thriving in that position? All right? We got ourselves something good here. We'll call it humility. How many stones did they grab? for that battle. Check it. Come on, bring it over here, David. Empty your satchel. What do you have there? One. Good. Two. Three. Four. <laughs> five? You picked up five? Five. Chutzpah. And you're like, what, is, what kind of chutzpah is that? Five is just weighing him down. If he knows he's going to get him in one, why does he carry around four more? The humility. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. The final great test. Yes, Father. Humility. The Spirit of God has worked in this man and created an amazing leader. How about the chutzpah? Then he, David, took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. Did you guys know <clears throat> that Goliath was not the only giant? You know that there were four brothers? Goliath wasn't alone. He just happened to be the big dude. But Goliath had four brothers. You want to know how significant it is that David reaches into the brook, grabs one and says, one for you. One for you. One for you, one for you, and one for you. When I'm done with him, I'm coming after you. <laughs> chutzpah. Humility and chutzpah. Who is this guy? The king has arrived in the camp. This is Jesus and the cross. Jesus comes in shepherd's garments. He's naked. It looks as if he's weak and the enemy's mocking him. One for you, one for you, one for you, one for you. Jesus brought it all down. He destroyed the power of sin and the devil, death, darkness, the flesh. He destroyed the giants. He brought him low in a shepherd's garment with five smooth stones. He came clothed red, his own blood, 
the perfect righteousness of God, the same military clothing that he asks you to don. He says, I knit it for you. Now wear it. How many, how many stones did David use? He only used one. So I'll call it the legend of the four stones. You know who he entrusted those stones to? I picture a ceremony to his mighty men. It's the ones that followed, that took down Goliath's brothers. You see, we have the inheritance of the great work of the cross, but then Jesus sends us forth in the very same power that he walked in. And he says, greater things will you do. Greater things than Jesus? The four additional stones in the shepherd's bag. Ishbi Benob of the sons of the giant, slain by Abishai, the son of Zariah. Saph, the sons of the giant, slain by Sibkai, the Hushtite, one of David's mighty men. Lami, the brother of Goliath, slain by Elhanan, a Bethlehemite, one of David's mighty men. The six-fingered giant, is that one of the greatest names of any evil character in the Bible or what? The six-fingered giant of the sons of the giant, slain by Jonathan, the son of Shammah, one of David's mighty men. This is the heritage of the church. Jesus has drawn five smooth stones from the brook, and he has lopped off the head. Even Calvary itself, Golgotha, Golgotha means the place of the skulls, the place of the dead heads. All the kings, they used to pile their heads there, their skulls there. That's why it got its name. It's literally the place of dead heads. And what does Jesus do? He dies at the place of dead heads. The place where heads have been lopped off. Isn't that, I mean, it's just extraordinary. And then he entrusts us with the Holy Spirit, the same humility and the same chutzpah. And he says, go, take him down. The five ingredients of the extraordinary story. Because, I mean, there's one more. We, we don't want to forget it. The place of the famous tree, the preparations of a young boy from Bethlehem, Judah, the boasting of a giant, five smooth stones, and an all-out sprint. Jesus didn't hesitate. He went straight into the jowls of hell itself and broke them and removed the prey, the sheep, from his teeth. This is the cross. David is merely a placeholder so that we would recognize the majesty when he arrived. He's arrived! With humility and chutzpah, he arrived. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David Mahard sprinted with liquid ferocity as a lion towards its prey. Are you willing to be trained and groomed by the spirit of grace? The same spirit that led David into battle? The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead? Are you willing to be filled and enabled and empowered by the same spirit. If you are, he's a humble spirit and he will take you low and he will put you into a cocoon of anonymity and he will say, are you willing to do this for me alone, for my eyes alone? Are you willing to serve unnoticed and unappreciated? Are you willing to take the lowest place? Are you willing not to take this honor upon yourself, but to wait until I put it upon your shoulders? Are you willing? Yes, Lord. Can you deliver bread and cheese one more time? God, I have such a bigger calling than this. Bread and cheese. Yes, Father. And then what do you see? That one day God will open it up and your calling will begin to unfurl before you. Who, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? It'll happen. And suddenly 
Your calling will begin to expand, but it will be God that does it. Leadership principle number one. This is a review. To be a great king, one must first be a great shepherd. Leadership principle number two. A great king must never cease to be a great shepherd. Isn't it an amazing thought that even though Jesus is exalted to the highest place, he's still the great shepherd? You see, we always, as leaders, must take the lowest place. And so as a result, the same thing that prepared us to be a great leader is the same thing that must be cultivated constantly. And we immediately start to derail and lose the luster of leadership, quality, and strength the moment we begin to be served instead of serving. And so for all of us in here, whether it's novitionary or missionary, whatever state of readiness you're in, it's not just being a great shepherd that prepares us to be a great leader. It's continuing to be a great shepherd that maintains a greatness of leadership quality. Leadership principle number three. With humility, deliver bread and cheese to the saints. With chutzpah, deliver a smooth stone to the forehead of the enemy. Leadership principle number four. Be ruddy for war. Always. You have a lamp, keep it filled with oil. Always. There is never a time to take off that garment. There is never a time to not walk in the Spirit, to not heed the Spirit, to not be sensitive to what the Spirit of God is wanting to do in your life. At every turn, you say, yes, Father. Every turn, yes, Lord. He'll take you low. But when he's taking you low, he's taking you high in the kingdom of heaven. Just always remember that. Don't ever judge anything by the externals. Don't judge it by earthly applause. Don't judge it by the fact that, you know, whether you're going to be on the front cover of People magazine or not. You judge it based on if it's of the Spirit. Would the Spirit do this? He would. He would. He'd take the lowest place. Yep, that's right. So do you. Thank you so much for listening to part two of this two-part message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.